Heavenly Father, again, we just give you thanks for uh, what you're doing in each and every one of our lives, Father, uh, individually and corporately. And we're just so grateful for a God who just continues to pour his love on us in spite of us. So I just thank you for my sisters, my brothers, Father, the opportunity to be here together to fellowship, to dig into your word. And I just pray, Father, that uh, every word that's said, Father, would be uh, they would see you just using this vessel, Father, to convey what you would have for each and every one of us. So, uh, again, uh, we love you, Lord, and we know you love us even more. And we just want to just be uh, closer to you in every way. So I pray that uh, we would just continue to decrease so that you may increase in us, Father. Have your way in our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So, Daniel, chapter 11, verse 1. Also, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I, even I, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And this is Gabriel speaking here. And... uh, uh, this time is the same as chapter 6, which was a period when Daniel was cast into the lion's den. Darius, King Darius, did everything he could to deliver Daniel, but all he could say was, Thy God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. And that applies today. That God who we serve will continue to deliver us. And uh, these last few days have been uh, quite a challenge for me personally. But God is good, you know, and uh, he just continues to show me what he's doing. And one thing that I'm learning, and I've said this before, that he's working in every situation. He's doing something. You know, why would a, and I'm, I'm getting to a point where I don't say, well, why would a loving God do that? I'm learning to say that less and less because everything that he's done, everything that he's doing, everything that he's going to do is teaching us teaching us something. So we are the ones that say, well, um, this isn't evidence of love. You've got to remember that God is love, period. And so we can't say because this isn't to our liking that God is not working. We We shouldn't say that this is not to our liking because God's punishing me. God doesn't love me as much as he did yesterday. He loves you more today than he did yesterday. And he just wants to show us. So what I'm learning, and I pray that you're learning, is that he is always, always, always doing something. So no matter what the situation is, something good will come out of it. And that's hard to understand. That's hard to perceive in the flesh. Because we want to see what we consider good things. We don't want bad things to happen to us. We don't want bad things to happen to our children. We don't want bad things to happen to our body of believers. We don't want any of that. But God has to do these things. And the idea is to pray and develop a mindset that God is working this out to the good. Regardless of how I perceive it, he's working it out to the good. And so this is, this is where uh, Gabriel is encouraging uh, Daniel. It did encourage Daniel. He continues to encourage Daniel. And uh, but all he could say was, again, that God whom you continually you serve continually, he will deliver you. And Gabriel confirmed Darius in his faith that he also comforted and assisted Daniel by stating, my God has sent his angel and has shut the mouth of the lions. 
And he's doing that in our world today. And we don't always see the lions that are in front of us. The lions are waiting to devour us because he takes care of that. He goes before us. He comes behind us and makes sure that the hedge of protection has us covered. So we don't always see the lion's mouth that he shut. And I just pray that we would always be mindful that he is shutting those lion's mouths. And I, I like the fact that during Sunday mornings, we get to hear about how our words can either divide or unite the body. And there are some people, as our pastor stated, there's some people who are hung up on politics and they want to bring it into everything. And I'm, I'm not, there's a time and a place for everything. But when that's your total focus, all, your only reference is Twitter, Facebook, and whatever the others are, then we got a problem. Because we have the truth right here. And if we got to go, it's, it's just interesting to me how we doubt some of the things in the Bible. But when we see these things in the media, we have a tendency to believe it. We have an easier time believing that than believing this. And it shouldn't be. So be mindful of, of what we're portraying, but what we're, we're uh, conveying to the, the body or, or sinners, sinners and saints that where our source of information comes from. Because we can easily just stumble somebody because what you read on Twitter and, and, and Facebook may be different, opposite tomorrow. So when we stick with this, this is going to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that's where we want to go. So this is how um, Gabriel uh, assured um, not only Daniel, but Darius as well, that the Lord is our source. Uh, verse 2, and now I will tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings will arise in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than them all. By his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the nation, uh, the, the realm of Greece. And from here through verse 34 are clear-cut statements a prophecy. And these prophecies which have been fulfilled already. After Cyrus, there would follow four notable kings in Persia. They are clearly identified as uh, Cambyses, um, Pseudo Smyrtus, Darius, Hystapius, and Xerxes, who invaded Greece in 480 BC. He was defeated, and never again did Medio Persia attempt to aim for world dominion. Xerxes was so rich that he was compared to Ahasuerus, as stated in uh, Esther chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. And I'm going to read this account because uh, the point that's made is he had these riches, but what did he do with them? We know about Solomon, what he did with his riches. And I just want to read this account from Esther 1, 1 through 7. Uh, concerning Ahasuerus. Now, it says, Now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, this was a Ahasuerus who reigned over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. In those days, when King Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan, the citadel, that is the third year of the reign, he made a feast for all his officials and servants, the powers of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes of the provinces before him, 
when he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty for many days, 180 days in all. And when these days were completed, the king made a feast lasting seven days for all the people who were present in Shushan the citadel, from great to small, in the court of the gardens in the king's palace. There were white and blue linen curtains fastened with cords of fine linen and purple on silver rods and marble pillows. And the couches were of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of alabaster, turquoise, and white and blue marble. And they served drinks in golden vessels, each vessel being different from the other, with raw wine in abundance according to the generosity of the king. And so he had these riches, but... This was just one example of how he expressed his richness by just having these lavish parties. And in and of itself, technically there's nothing wrong with that. But it's just that this, the things that they were doing, and there's a lot more detail that can go into this as far as the source of the vessels that they were using, the golden vessels and, and other things that they were doing. But The point that I want to make is God blesses us with certain things, certain qualities, certain skills, certain elements of life. The question is, what are you doing with what he's blessed you with? God has given each and every one of us a ministry. And you have to ask myself, am I carrying out my ministry the way God desires? Or am I doing this to satisfy myself? Am I doing this? Uh, as Ahasuerus as, uh, did, am I doing this just to show myself, just to puff myself up? Or am I doing the Lord's will? And I can't say this wasn't the Lord's will. This wasn't the Lord's will in, in his life. But you know what it is for you. If not, then you need to be more prayerful. Lord, what would you have me to do with what you've given me? And there are times when it's challenging because the average person that we will meet thinks that the Lord always wants to use their strengths. On the contrary, a lot of times he wants us to use our weakness because when we use our strength and we get what we consider success, look what I did. But we don't have that attitude when it comes to our weakness because you know in his weakness, in your weakness, that's when his strength takes over. And now you can say, well, praise the Lord. He did it. I didn't do it because I'm weak in that area. So it couldn't be me. So let's be mindful of what he's called us to and to live it out. Not just talk it out, but to live it out. And it's so important. And and I see Gabriel uh, confirming uh, with with, uh, Darius in here, and he's encouraging him to seek the Lord in everything. There is nothing that he's not concerned about. He's concerned about our thought life. He's concerned about what we're living out. He's concerned about the things that cause us to stumble. He's concerned about the things that cause us to rise up, the things that cause us to fall down. He's concerned about all of that. So no matter what you're going through, he's in it. He's in it. Verse 3. Then a mighty king shall arise and shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. The mighty king here is Alexander the Great. And I believe Daniel chapter 6, they talked about him quite a bit. And uh, when I think of that, I think about the word blitzkrieg, a lightning war. 
And he just came in. And when, when you realize what was going on, first of all, you were under siege. And then shortly after that, you were under his thumb. And then after that, you were under his feet. And that's how he conquered. And you don't realize that, wow, what just happened? Alexander the Great just, just took over your nation. And he does it quickly. He, does, he's, he's a, he was a master. And uh, Alexander the Great came in power in 335 B.C. over the, Greek, the Greco-Macedonian Empire. He overtook Persia and assumed world dominion. World dominion. And that's, that's really huge because it's not just a nation with Alexander the Great because he was so efficient at do, uh, dominating nations, he just basically took over the world. Verse 4, And when he had arisen, the kingdom shall be broken up and divided toward the four winds of the heaven, but not among the posterity, nor according to his dominion with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be uprooted, even for others besides these. Alexander the Great uh, there was a lot more detail when we talked about this before, but he died as an alcoholic in uh, 323 B.C. And the circumstances surrounding that, he was just so consumed with world dominance, he just stopped sleeping, stopped taking care of himself physically. And eventually all he had to do, all he, all he did was drink. And he started off sucking from the bottle. And as years went along, the bottle started sucking from him. So it's just, it's just tragic, and these things are happening today. There's nothing new under the sun in this instance. His own posterity did not inherit his vast kingdom, which is what he anticipated. When I go, they're going to inherit it, and they're going to continue to run things. But four of his generals divided the empire into four areas over which of them uh, ruled, and the vision was roughly uh, among these four, and I'll, I'll, I'll name them and what, what they rule for whatever it's worth. Uh, the first one was Cassander. He took over Macedonia. The second was Lysicamus, took over Asia Minor. Seleucus, uh, the Nicator, took Syria. And Ptolemy took Egypt. All four eventually lost their kingdoms when the Romans came to town. So they had these small kingdoms, but when the Roman came, when the Roman Romans invaded, they just took over everything. And all now all of a sudden, all this that this man had lived and died for was gone. And I pray that's not us. And I, I'm going to put this in uh, terms that relate to us: how we can spend a lifetime. Developing our own habitat, our own environment, our own venue. And then the Lord comes and takes us out and it's all gone to ruin. And I just pray that we be more mindful of, of making sure that we are honoring the Lord in everything that we do. Because he will keep that goodness progressing. But, and when we don't do that, when we're not involved in something that honors him, that that that's in, in line with his will, then it just crumbles and falls. And that can, we can equate that to sifting sand as we're building a foundation and we're building on sifting sand. 
And everything that we do, everything that we say should be based on the rock. Everything. Verse 5. Also the king of the south shall become strong as well as one of his princes. And he shall gain power over him and have dominion. His dominion shall be a great dominion. And what we're seeing here is, is a term that came to mind as I was doing this was wars and rumors of wars. Because it, throughout this whole thing, right until verse, uh, chapter 12, it's wars, it's warring, it's destruction. It's one nation wanting to dominate all the other nations. And, you know, when we can put that in context today and see what's going on around us, and it's happening. It's, 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 again, same old song and dance. In these directions, um, also the king of the south shall become strong, and then the king of the north shall, shall have dominion. And these directions were based on the fact that at that time, Palestine was considered the center of the earth. And everything was based uh, relative to that. Every direction was relative to that. North is defined as north of Palestine, and south is defined as south of Palestine. And those two kingdoms that affected Palestine were Syria in the north and Egypt in the south. And there was constant battle. And in between those two was Israel. So Israel was being destroyed as a result of being caught in the middle of those two. And as we go along, we'll see a little bit more about that. But, and that's why Israel was just destroyed temporarily. And that just goes with uh, what I title this. I'll go back. God's people will get the victory. Always be mindful of that. God's people will get the victory. It's not a question of if. It's just a question of when. So that's why we need to stay strong in the Lord. No matter what we do. No matter how we go about it. As long as we're in his will we know that we're going to get the victory. We don't have to be concerned about uh, the things that, that the rest of the world is concerned about. We don't have to follow what they follow. We don't have to do what they do. We don't have to say what they say. Just honor the Lord. And God honor those who honor him. And that's, we got that going for us. So let's, let's stay with that. He honors us. Verse 6 and at the end of some years, they shall join forces for the daughter of the king of the south shall go to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the power of her authority and neither he nor his authority shall stand. But she shall be given up with those who brought her and with him who begot her and with him who strengthened her in these times. The king of the north, in this case, refers to the line of the, well, it says, I, I'm going to call it uh, Seleucidites. And that's not the, the word that they use, but it's, it's that group of people. And this verse brings us to 250 B.C. when an alliance was formed between these two warring families. And uh, Ptolemy Philadelphus, son of Ptolemy Lagos, gave his daughter Bernice, Berenice in, in marriage to Antiochus, Theos of Syria. Antiochus was already married to Laodice, whom he divorced. Ptolemy Philadelphus died. Then Antonicus, Theos, poisoned Berenice and her son, 
took back his first wife, Laodice. She then poisoned Antiochus Theos and put her son, Seleucus Callinicus, on the throne. Now, this sounds like a soap opera. Very much so. Or even in, it happens in real life. And all these things, I know this was a lot that was said here, but it's just that it's, uh, the word that comes to mind is selfishness. It's really all about me. So how they go to great excess, they'll kill, they'll steal, they'll poison, they'll shoot, they'll, whatever they got to do to get ahead from their perspective. And, and this can be us, just by the grace of God, this can be any of us. Well, I would never do that. I would never poison anybody. You've already poisoned somebody with your words. I would never go to this extent, but this is, this is what's happening. And when we look at what's going on around us today, you ask yourself, wow, this isn't really new, is it? These things have been going on right from the beginning. And so all this stuff is going on. Uh, verse 7, but from a branch of the roots... One shall arise in his place who shall come with, with an army, enter the fortress of the king of the north, and deal with them and prevail. Ptolemy Eurygetus, brother of Berenice, came with an army and conquered Syria, seizing the fort, which was the port of Antioch. And these, these things are, I say sinister. Uh, you know, I can't come up with a better word than that. And how this just keeps going on and on and on and on. I thought that uh, back when I was reading uh, about uh, the kings, how they were just so evil and they were just didn't honor God in so many things. And realizing that this is done on every level, every single level it was and it is. And it will continue to be done until the Lord comes back. And when I think of the the, the, the is when it says, if I don't come back, nobody's going to survive. No one's going to survive. This is what I think of times like this, when just evil, just for the sake of evil, and when men's hearts are just so evil, and it's hard to comprehend whether it be just because of being naive or just inexperienced in that sense, but to see that and find it so difficult to accept. Why? Why, what does it profit them to gain the world but lose their soul? And this is what uh, brings us to tears and, and really challenges our heart when we see these things going on in today's world, especially for someone that we love, how we want to minister to them, and we see our children just getting further and further away from the things of the Lord. We see our family just drifting with, without a care about their relationship with the the our Lord and Savior. And it just breaks our heart. It just is so difficult. And you feel, sometimes we feel helpless. Like, what do I do about it? What do I do because our son is drifting away from the Lord? What do I do because our daughter, my mom, my brother, my uncle is drifting away from the Lord? And pray. Pray. Never stop praying. It can't be overdone. So just continue to pray for those among us who are, who are struggling. And there are a lot of us who are struggling about different things. We all got issues in our lives. But the Lord is faithful. Verse 8. 
And he shall also carry their gods captive to Egypt with their princes and their precious articles of silver and gold. And he shall continue more years than the king of the north. Verse 9. Also the king of the north shall come to the kingdom of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. And this this, uh, Ptolemy, Eurygetus, took many treasures into Egypt. In, in, in this booty, it included 4,000 talents of gold, 40,000 talents of silver, and 2,500 idols. And I wanted to go in and see what that be what, from a, a, a monetary standpoint, what that would be in today's world. But it's like, it doesn't matter. It's a lot. You know, then 40,000 talents of gold. 4,000 talents of gold, 40,000 talents of silver, and I don't even want to think about the 2,500 idols. And nothing good can come out of that. Verse 10, however, his son shall stir up strife and assemble a multitude of great forces, and one shall certainly come and overwhelm and pass through. Then he shall return to his fortress and stir up strife. And we know about that. We, we've seen today in today's world where some will return to their forces and fortress and stir up strife. Verse 11, and the king of the south shall be moved with rage and go out and fight with him, with the king of the north, who shall muster a great multitude, but the multitude shall be given into the hand of his enemy. Verse 12. When he was taken away, the multitude, his heart will be lifted up and he will cast down tens of thousands, but he will not prevail. He, shall, he will not prevail. And uh, it's, it tells us that, you know, in, in our case, to put this in life application, it says that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. But it never says there will be no weapon formed against us. So in this case, he did not prevail. And we, on our own, we will not prevail with the way the things are going right now. But God. And that's why I, I just, I want to just encourage you just to continue to rely on him for everything. No matter what it is. No matter what it is. No matter how big or how small we think it is. He cares. God cares. Verse 13. For the king of the north will return and muster a multitude greater than the former and shall certainly come at the end of some years with a great army, with a great army and much equipment. And so they're gearing up for the battle. And just when these, these nations that they're warring against think they've seen it, and now all of a sudden they come in more heavily armed than they were before. And those nations who don't have that protection will perish. And if we're depending on physical protection, if we're depending on they, why would they allow something like that to happen? You've got to ask yourself, who is they? But when we got Jesus on our side, We got him greatly outnumbered. He's proven that. 
over and over and over again. And he will continue to prove it. There are, and there are also continued warfare between Egypt and Syria during the period of approximately one, one and a quarter centuries. Whew. Antiochus the Great comes as a king of the north. Tomali Philopater comes as a king of the south and comes with much anger. Anger. And when you insert anger into warfare, it just ramps up considerably because you know, we say that all things are fair in love and war. And it comes to the point where when the anger comes into play, game changer. And that's how it is in our lives. When we're witnessing, when we're ministering, if we allow ourselves to be uh, pulled away from what the Lord is causing us to do or say, then anger ensues and we're no longer in the Lord's will. For life application, I pray that we always be mindful, be slow to anger. And that's easy to stand here and say that, but I know in my heart that's very difficult because we all have this, this flesh that we're wrapped in and it wants to have its way. We don't want to be outdone. We don't want to be put down. We don't want to be taken advantage of. So when things are not going well, we resort to anger. And it's okay. God says, be angry, but sin not. And again, okay, Jesus, that works for you, but uh, I'm not doing so well with that. You know? And we can. We can. That's why we continue to read. We continue to pray. We continue to seek his face so we will have a heart like him. Will it be easy? Um, no. But it's possible. There was almost continued warfare between Egypt and Syria during the period of approximately one and a quarter centuries. And these kings came in and, and they defeated uh, the they defeated one of the kings and the multitude falls into his hands. And this is this is what happens when we're not faithful. We're not doing, we're not going to where the Lord is calling us, this is what happens. Then we get defeated. And sometimes we find it difficult to bounce back. We need to be praying at all times. We need to be in his hands, in his grace at all times. We need to know that we're following the path that he set before us. And oftentimes we have a tendency to go off that path. And sometimes the consequences of our sin are what we're experiencing. We think we're doing the right thing because we're doing what the flesh dictates. And sometimes when we follow that, we don't like the consequences of it. I'm sorry, a lot of times we don't even realize the consequences of it. When we are called to minister to our family, our body, and we don't do it. There's consequences. Sometimes when we're called to go somewhere that we're not comfortable with 
and we refuse, there's consequences. Sometimes when we're asked to not go someplace that we want to go anyway, there's consequences. And it's a human thing, and I realize it. You know, it's almost like a daily thing. You know, God, I say, I, I know you, you're calling me to not do this, but I think that I can make some good out of this. Okay? So do you trust me in the guiding you? Sometimes. Well, that's a definite no. It's either you do or you don't. There's no gray area at all when it comes to trusting the Lord. I trust you in some things. How would you like for someone that you love to say that I only trust you in some things? And it's even worse when you say that to someone who loves you. Lord, I, I trust you, but when you say but, you just wiped out the, everything before that. We need to trust him in everything. Everything. And remember something that, that I've been saying more and more lately, and, and I mean it more and more lately, is no matter what, and when I think back on the 2,500 idols, and for some of us who only have five or six, maybe even two, maybe even one, how he, the Lord, can take that away from you where you have to rely on him. And to look back on years past where he's shown us, I'm going to take these things away. I'm going to take away all the things that you think you need, all the things that you're putting before me, and let me know how that works for you. And we've all experienced it. Everybody in this room has, and in pixel land, you've experienced it. What it's like when he takes it away. And there's no limit as to what he would take away. I love my family, their top priority. Okay, I'm going to remove your family from you for a day, for a week, for a month, for a year. And let me know how you feel about that. So he will do that. He will teach you. He will go to, he would take us to great extents to show us his power and his love for us. Will we realize it? When you realize that thing that you have, the thing that's taking priority over your relationship with the Lord, and realize that, wow, I, I can't believe he did that. Yeah, believe it. Because he will. When he says, you shall have no other gods before me, that was it. Well, this is just a little God. It's not a big deal. Not a big deal to us big deal to him because you've taken something and you made a priority. Even your family, even your kids, even your sister, your brother, whomever, grandkids, he can take them away. And he will take them away. If you honor them over him, he will do it. And you say, well, that's harsh. Well, it's not being harsh. It's just remembering that uh, he loves us and he's going to do what's best for us. And it's in our best interest to make him the top priority in our lives. Well, I thought he was love. He is. Then it does, it's not love that, that, 
this doesn't, to me, doesn't represent love. Are you familiar with the word sovereign? Well, no, I'm not, brother. What does that mean? He blesses us because he loves us. And he chastens us because he loves us. It doesn't make any sense. God works like that. He does stuff that doesn't make any sense to us. But it's always good. So I praise him. Verse 14. Now to those times, many shall rise up against the king of the south. Also, violent men of your people shall exalt themselves in fulfillment of the vision, but they shall fall. Period. No exceptions. No preferential treatment. When they exalt themselves in fulfillment of the vision, they shall fall. In this case, many Jews were slain. Israel was on the losing side of each time. Each and every time Israel was on the losing side. They caused unfold, they, uh, this caused untold suffering upon the nation. Israel suffered at the hands of both Syria and Egypt. As these two nations warred against each other, the land of Palestine was in the middle of the armies of these two nations as they seesawed back and forth, up and down, across the land. Israel endured much suffering, but some of the most glorious episode of heroism took place during this period. So they're God's people. He's made it known. He continues to make it known that they are my people, and that's why I said... Uh, God's people shall get the victory. Verse 15. So the king of the north shall come and build a siege mound and take a fortified city and the forces of the south shall not withstand him. Even his choice troops shall have no strength to resist. Verse 16. But he who comes against him shall do according to his own will. And no one shall stand against him. He shall stand in the glorious land with destruction in his power. Now, secular history uh, records this victory and uh, uh, that the victory was great over Egypt. The glorious land refers to Palestine, which was a scene of much of the warfare. And in this, though we didn't, this, this chapter... It's 45 verses long, and there's so much detail until I had to pull back. It's like, how much do I just throw out there, you know? And it just goes on and on and on. So that's why I tried to break it down uh, into bite-sized pieces, but there's still so much that, that we could say, that I could say about what's going on here. There's so many details. But what I got out of it is, though we didn't get into many of these details of this era, it is interesting to see that secular history and sacred prophecy synchronized throughout the entire period of over 125 years. And as we go through this, and Lord willing, the next time 
uh, I get a chance to, to go start verse 17, is so rich with prophecy and history. And when, as I, we get to read this and we see the, the mingling of history and, and, and prophecy and how it's like, how could anyone question the, the validity of what's going on here? And what I want to encourage with us is that we can see life application in each and every one of these verses. And every time I get to do this, that's my primary concern. I would like for us to see how this applies to us now. This is history. This is prophecy. And when we look at that and, and we look at what has to happen now, what has to take place now for the Lord to come back? And each one of us needs to think about it just from what we've read and what we know and what we're going to read about what the Lord is doing. And it's, I find it so interesting to see the two things come together. And it happens a lot. It's nothing new. We see it. We see it in every single book of the Bible. But when you see things just just being blown out like this, it just, it just, it causes you to want to believe in him more and more and more. It causes you to want to dig into the word more and more and more so that you can get a better understanding and you can see with clearer vision what we're being subjected to. And you realize that all this stuff that we think is news, really not news. And everybody here knows that. Everybody in this room right now knows that. There's no question about it. This happened before, and, and I just think about, you know, what, what a blessing for me. This is personal to, to hear the, the messages in the morning. And when we dig into things like, you know, well, any book actually. But to me, my mind goes back to Acts a lot. And there's so many that are rich. And, and even with that, thinking about, Lord, where will you have me to go next? You know, we got... It's going to take a while just to get through the rest of this verse and then verse 12. But I've been so thinking so much about that and, and the richness of sitting down, listening to our brothers teach the word. And I'm being more and more encouraged every day. And I'm not here to pat anybody on the back, but it's just that this is what the Lord is showing me. And uh, it's just so rich. And so I, I just pray that we would just continue to be encouraged by what he's doing. He's doing great things. Great is his faithfulness. And uh, he wants to bless us. He wants to bless us. He wants to bless you. He wants you to wake up in the morning and know that his mercies are brand new. Every morning. You mean last Friday included? Uh, yeah. Yeah, last Friday included. Yeah. After what I went through, yeah, you're still being blessed. No doubt about it. So, that's as far as I want to go tonight, guys. So, uh, just be encouraged. Just be encouraged. You look around, the picture's not pretty. But just remember, God's promise is a yea and amen. And anything that he said, anything that you read, anything that you will read, he'll stand by it. He can't lie. He can't stop loving us. 
Can we lie? Can we stop loving him? Potentially, but I pray that we don't. Father, we just thank you for this time that you've set aside just for us. And I pray that uh, every word that was spoken, that it was, uh, it was of you, Father. And I just pray for my sisters and brothers here tonight, especially those who are struggling with some things, and we all are, that you would just, uh, just continue to show them you. I pray that we would just continue to seek your face, Father, in everything, every day in every way, Father. Just have your way with us, Father. And I pray if there's anyone here tonight who does not yet know you as their Lord and Savior, that tonight with that night of salvation, may they come running up saying, what must I do to be saved? And again, uh, my sisters and brothers, uh, I, I just, I just want to be that, that Barnabas, Father, as much as possible. I just want to be that encourager. And it's not about me, Father, but it's about you. I have a life for everybody that I know and that I will get to know to be saved, to be under your wing, to continue to seek your face. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.